Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. When we last spoke in late December, we were a little glum about how the tax agenda played out in 2023, but we expressed guarded optimism that 2024 might be, if not more productive, at least more interesting. And here we are in mid-January amidst a sudden and very real whirlwind of activity on tax legislation, specifically tax extenders. Today is Thursday, January 18th, and this week we learned that Republican Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith had struck a deal on tax extenders with Democratic Senate Finance Chairman Ron Wyden. Then we got an honest-to-goodness bill, actual legislative text on the deal. The Joint Committee on Taxation gave us a bill description and revenue tables. And last night, the Ways and Means Committee scheduled a session to mark up the legislation in committee. Those are undeniably steps in the right direction. So you ask, how seriously should we take this latest effort to restore the deductibility of R&E costs, the deductibility of interest, the deductibility of capital expenditures? Well, if you talk to 20 lobbyists here in Washington, you'll get 20 different answers. So let's not talk to them. Let's just talk amongst ourselves here and outline the reasons for optimism, if you're a glass half full kind of person, and the reasons for pessimism, if you're not. To help me do that, we are joined by our resident Capitol Hill vets and tax policy experts, Jenna Cunha and Jennifer Gray. Jen, Jennifer, here's what we are going to do. I'm going to ask you for three reasons for optimism on this latest effort on tax extenders. And I'm going to ask you for three reasons for pessimism. Now, mind you, I'm not asking you to actually endorse these reasons. Let's just put them out there. And Jennifer, I'll start with you. You are a resident optimist. So I'm going to ask you to play that part. Jen, you could take the other side. Jennifer, start with reason number one, why we should be optimistic that this time on tax extenders is real. Well, I think you would look to the fact that there is a decent amount of support for moving this. Certainly, you have both the chairman who have gotten together, done the work, put a bill together, a bipartisan bill, bipartisan bicameral. So that would certainly be a reason for optimism. You also had Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, come out and make positive statements about it. And while we haven't heard anything from Republican leadership in the House, one of the things the new Speaker Johnson has indicated is that he does want to try to empower his chairman. So perhaps the fact that Mr. Smith, his Ways and Means chairman, has negotiated this deal and is fully behind it will be some pressure on Mr. Johnson to uh, get behind it or at least allow it to move forward. Absolutely. I think that Majority Leader Schumer coming out and pretty forcefully saying he supported the deal was a really big deal. If you think about where we've been so far on these extenders, we've had ideas, we've had proposed legislation, but we've never had leadership buy-in before. So that's absolutely a big deal that we haven't seen before. So Jen, just hearing what Jennifer said, any response to that? I agree. There are definitely reasons for optimism. The biggest one that Jennifer mentioned is there actually is a deal on the diciest issue, at least a tentative deal, which is the child tax credit. And that was what kept sabotaging the extenders package over and over and over again, in addition to the fact that there is seemingly a potential vehicle for an extenders package, which were two of the main impediments to the bill over the last couple of years. Okay, you sounded pretty convinced, Jen. But remember, you're playing the pessimist side. <laughs> so, you know, don't get too carried away here. All right, then give us a reason for pessimism, why maybe this isn't everything we think it might be. Well, I have a lot of reasons for pessimism. <laughs> First of all, we're dealing with Congress. So that's a big reason for pessimism. 
the biggest warning bell that I have seen is it doesn't seem to have House leadership support, at least not yet. We haven't seen a call to action by Speaker Johnson. Yes, Speaker Johnson, you know, as Jennifer mentioned, has said that he wants to empower the chairman, but we've seen a notice of a markup. We've seen the two chairmen announce. We saw Schumer make a positive statement about the deal. Have not heard a whole lot of positive talk from Speaker Johnson on the tax deal in particular. And that gives me some pause that there are concerns that we may not have as much House Republican support as we would expect in a big tax package that is gearing up for markup and potentially either today or tomorrow. That is a cause for pessimism for me. Fair point. It's been absolute crickets from the Speaker's office. And it's not because he doesn't know this is going on. Obviously, he's well aware. So that is a little bit alarming. I don't know, Jennifer, anything you respond to Jen with that concern? To be honest, there is so much going on right now with discussion about immigration and keeping the government open and just so many high profile issues, Ukraine, Israel funding, et cetera, that there's at least an argument to be made that it doesn't necessarily behoove leadership to walk out until they at least have a better sense of where the rest of their conference might be on these items. There may be enough issues where they're bucking parts of their conference likely today if they end up passing the continuing resolution to keep the government open that a number of the more conservative members of the party oppose that maybe something like this until they get a better sense of where the rest of the caucus is maybe it's just not ripe yet for house leadership to weigh in okay valid point valid point jennifer give us another reason to be optimistic that this bill has real chance to become law There is a bit of time pressure on this in that the child tax credit is in there and the filing season opens in a couple weeks, obviously April 15th heading out there looming. And so I think there's some pressure that if it's going to happen sooner rather than later is needed in order to allow folks to take the child tax credit benefits with the upcoming filing season. I assume you think that that probably motivates Democrats more than Republicans not that Republicans dislike the CTC, but historically, this has been more of a Democratic priority. So I guess you're saying Democrats may be lukewarm on the business provisions, but this gives them a real reason to act quickly on this bill because of getting the filings in for the CTC. And certainly Chairman Wyden has been making that point that he would like to see this as soon as possible and ideally prior to the end of January for that reason. Jen, do you concur? Is that a reason for optimism? I think it is on the Senate side in particular, because that's the one thing that after two years of a lot of the provisions just kind of hanging out there, kicked in 163J, 174 bonus, CTC, to actually have some time pressure, I think helps the package. I don't think it hurts the package on the Senate side. I don't think a timeline ever hurts. Is that timeline for the CTC realistic? They still want to act quickly. Can Congress really act that quickly on this package, or are they going to just have to wait till March to put it in with the government funding bill anyway? And is that too late? Well, one thing I thought was interesting is we did see a modified document put out today by Chairman Smith in anticipation of the Ways and Means markup, and it had some very tiny changes, but one change it did have in there was procedural language tacitly acknowledging that the IRS commissioner may have to make some assumptions when it comes to folks claiming the CTC and estimating what it might be, indicating that the timing may not work out as smoothly as they had hoped. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. So we're back to you, Jen. What's 
your second reason to be pessimistic? Well, another reason that I have to be pessimistic is we've heard on the Senate side from Leader Schumer, but the one voice we've heard from but haven't heard a full-throated endorsement of the deal is the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Crapo. We received a statement from him, and the two words that kind of jumped out at me were that it was a great starting point. That's not really the phrasing that you would normally cling to when you're talking about a deal that's getting ready to move on the floor. Indicates that there could be a lot of work to be done and that maybe Senate Republicans have some ideas of where they want the deal to go as well. If he's not ready to fully endorse the bill, what more he would want or less he would want? Any idea why Crapo just referred to it as a starting point, not a finishing point? That's a good question. There are a lot of issues that not necessarily would disagree with, but maybe thinks that they need additional Senate Republican input. The one piece, again, the one dicey issue, the child tax credit. There may not be full agreement on the contours of the current CTC deal that was reached between Senate Finance Committee Chairman Wyden and Chairman Smith over at Ways and Means. So I think that's one that kind of jumps out at me. Yeah, and I would put in here that at least some folks feel that perhaps Chairman Smith, the House Republican Ways and Means chairman, may be more positively inclined toward the child tax credit, given the district that he represents, than perhaps some other Republicans may be, particularly when it comes to refundability, which as a whole, Republicans generally are not large fans of in the tax code. Good point. Jennifer, to respond to Jen, let me ask you this question. How important is it that Crapo loves it? Don't we just need him to not hate it? I don't know. What do you think? It depends on what the process is for passing the bill, whether they're trying to move this as a standalone, which is unbelievably hard, if not next to impossible in the Senate, or if they're trying to attach it to a larger bill. But I would say on the whole, it's certainly not helpful to not have Mr. Crapo on board. This is going to have to pass in a bipartisan manner. They're going to need to be Republican senators in favor of the package. And a number of those folks, particularly those who don't feel they're experts in tax, will look to Mr. Crapo as their expert in tax in the conference. And so to the extent that he's lukewarm at best, it's not necessarily helpful. So it's not enough to just say, well, you know, they only need nine Republicans. They can give up Crapo. Your point is, as the top Republican on the tax writing committee, he wields outsized influence in how Republicans might vote. Valid point. Okay. Jennifer, I think I was going to ask you for three reasons for optimism. You gave me two. What's your third one? Give me another. Well, this is a a positive negative, I guess. This is likely the last chance until lame duck. This is potentially the opportunity to have must pass legislation with them needing to do something with funding bills over the next couple days to next couple months in order to stop government shutdown. So there is a numerous potentially pieces of must-pass legislation that this could potentially hitch a ride upon. So that's one. And once this process is completed, assuming it is with keeping the government funded through the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, we don't know what must-pass pieces of legislation may be available between now and then. And particularly with the business provisions, if, if not some of the others as well, This bill does go retroactive, and the further away we get, the more retroactive it becomes, the more expensive it becomes. Potentially, some would argue the harder the policy arguments for retroactivity become. And so, again, sort of pushing on that pressure point that this is a make or break, potentially, at least for the next several months, sort of a now or lame duck, perhaps, type argument. Yep. Jen, what do you think of the it's now or never argument? Is that compelling one? Because I don't disagree with you, Jennifer. The question is, do you think members of Congress view that as a motivator? 
it's tricky with these because as Jennifer mentioned, they have been kind of hanging out for two years. So it was a lot of pressure to try to get it before it was at a 12 month period. And then it was, let's try not to get to the two year mark. Well, we're beyond the two year mark and the sky hasn't fallen. The economy hasn't collapsed because of the extenders. So I don't know that they necessarily feel, I think there's some pressure to try to get it done in Q1, but I don't see how, besides setting aside the CTC, that little time pressure there to try to get it in before filing season, what is the difference just from a policymaker's perspective going retroactive at the beginning of the calendar year or at the end of the calendar year? It's still 2024. That makes me a little nervous. I guess as far as the timing pressure, one other thing I would add in is they do have a pay for that has been signed off on by both chairmen, which is extremely rare, which I don't believe covers the entire bill, but certainly most of it. And that pay for is also somewhat time sensitive, deals with the employee retention tax credit and basically sort of setting an earlier deadline for cutting off those claims. And so That is somewhat time sensitive as far as raising money from that as well. So I would think if you go several more months, that razor is going to become smaller and smaller over time. That's a really good point. Totally agree. I was just looking at that revenue table and the pay-fors perspective right now. Remember, Congress doesn't really love retroactive pay-fors, but it's perspective beginning at the end of this month. So what happens? And the provision turns off automatically. I think it's in, what, March? So really what happens to that pay for? And does that cause more problems later if they do let the time pass? If they go beyond January, does the pay for slip through their fingers? Right. Forget lame duck. I mean, even if they just have to extend this bill into March, when we expect the government funding bill to happen, what happens to that revenue raiser? It's a really good question. All right, Jen, I think we're waiting on one last reason for pessimism from you. I hate to end on a pessimistic note, but here we are. So what's our last reason for pessimism from you? For me, it's not pessimism as a general matter for this year, but I think for the current theory, which is that this is going to move sometime before next month, is there's no, and Jennifer alluded to this, because it's the one question that we all have, which is, well, what's the vehicle? Government funding is the natural vehicle for this. But there's also been some talk ruminating about this moving as a standalone. And extenders, as a general matter, have rarely moved as standalone vehicles. And when they do move as standalone vehicles, can it withstand the heat of moving as a standalone? Right? This is a pretty big bill. It costs a lot of money. Right now there's a pay for, but if they let that pay for slip through their fingers, then you're just looking at a bill that costs over $100 billion, doesn't have a pay for, and it starts to look a lot dicier as a standalone. That's the question that I have just procedurally and a cause for pessimism from me is the odds of it moving as a standalone before the March CR expires and the odds of it being tacked on to the CR in March. Right. And not only might it move alone, if that's the plan, as you say, it would almost certainly have to move under the rules of suspension in the House and we won't get all bogged down in House procedure But it's a rule designed to avoid the Rules Committee, where this Congress in particular has had great trouble in getting legislation through, and it's kind of given up on moving it through the Rules Committee. So putting it directly on the floor and requiring a three-fifths vote rather than a simple majority. Do either of you remember a piece of tax legislation going under suspension? Anybody? 
I'm sure there there have been some somewhat. Honestly, I think I had one in the early 2000s that might have gone on suspension. (laughs) (laughs) Early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one my boss had that maybe went on suspension about 20 years ago. (laughs) So you got tax extenders that hasn't gone alone in probably 20 years. You've got suspension that probably hasn't happened on a tax bill in 20 years. So that's two double long shots. It's not impossible. Things are definitely different in this Congress than we've seen in prior Congress. So maybe this time is different. But I'm with you, Jen. The process here is a little tricky to navigate if that's what they indeed want to do. And if they just want to toss it on the government funding bill in March, fine. But then we start to lose the possibility of getting that pay for unless they're prepared to do it retroactive, as you said. And it kind of gets really messy. Yeah. All right, I'm going to put you both on the spot with the last question. For those listening and trying to figure out, well, where does this go? Is there something that you're looking forward to, like the next data point that you think will be important and whether or not we should be feeling good about these provisions or feeling less good about them? So, Jen, I'll ask you first, what's the next data point you're looking for? For me, it is Republican leadership buy-in. It's a bipartisan deal. We have to hear from Speaker Johnson. We really do need to speak from the head Republican tax writer in the Senate as well. Something a lot more positive that indicates support. Right. Johnson and Crapo. Gotcha. Okay. Jennifer, what about you? I think I would agree with that. I think in the very short term, the next 24 hours or so from us recording this is what sort of vote do we see if there is a markup in ways and means? Is that a strong bipartisan vote coming out of that committee or not? And if so, does that create any momentum? Right. And I'm glad you said if, because being Washington, the risk of a potentially half an inch of snow that we might get tomorrow might scrap the uh, markup altogether. And that'll leave us wondering what the point of view is. And the House is out next week. So if they can't schedule that markup tomorrow, then we're left guessing for a while on how deep the support is. Good point. Good point. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. I hope that was very helpful. Jen, Jennifer, thank you very much. In closing, let me just bring you all up to date. We recorded what you just heard on the afternoon of Thursday, January 18th. But I thought it made sense to conclude here on the afternoon of January the 19th so that we could mention the outcome of the markup that we had discussed. The markup just concluded. And despite a little bit of grumbling from Democrats on the committee about the size and the contours of the agreement on the child tax credit, in the end, the bill was overwhelmingly approved in committee by a vote of 40 to 3 on a bipartisan basis. So in the glass half full or half empty analysis, there is no doubt that this strong bipartisan outcome in committee bodes well for the bill. But remember, it's not home free yet. If you think of all the hurdles this bill has to get over to become law, well, one, as we said, was getting a deal between House Republicans and Senate Democrats, and that happened. Then we needed to get a bill written with a reasonable revenue cost attached to it. Well, we got that. Then it had to clear the hurdle in committee, which just happened in a pretty impressive way. So then what's next? Well, as Jen said, we are still waiting for House leadership to say something nice about the tax extenders package. Because without the speaker either scheduling the tax package for a standalone vote or attaching it to the funding bill later, none of what has gone before will matter. So no, the bill is not at the finish line yet. But I would say this, it's certainly better to have several hurdles behind you than to have all of them in front of you. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. 
Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.